to this edition of Maine, The Way Life Could Be, a series in which we look at challenges and opportunities facing Maine in the lifetimes of people alive today. I'm Amy Brown. And I'm Jim Campbell. In a previous program, we began looking at the effects of climate change on life in Maine, now and in the future, a topic that almost everyone mentioned who participated in our interest-gathering efforts before the series began. Maine is the oldest state in the country, both in median age and in percentage of those over 55, but the people who are going to be dealing with the effects of climate change the longest are younger people, and climate change seems to be affecting many of them already. In December of 2021, the Lancet journal Planetary Health published the results of a survey of 10,000 people ages 16 to 25 in 10 countries. The authors found that, quote, respondents across all countries were worried about climate change. 59% were very or extremely worried, and 84% were at least moderately worried. More than 50% reported each of the following emotions, sad, anxious, angry, powerless, helpless, and guilty. More than 45% of respondents said their feelings about climate change negatively affected their daily life and functioning, and many reported a high number of negative thoughts about climate change. For example, 75% said they think the future is frightening, and 83% said they think people have failed to take care of the planet. Respondents rated governmental responses to climate change negatively and reported greater feelings of betrayal than of reassurance, end quote. On today's program, we'll be talking with several younger people in Maine about their attitudes and expectations of the effects that climate change will have on their futures. We spoke with two pairs of high school students. We'll hear first from Joey and Edge, who are from two different schools in Washington County. We'll follow that conversation with one with Grace and Sophia, who are from the MDI area in Hancock County. And we'll finish today speaking with Hazel Stark, a millennial who is a naturalist educator, registered Maine guide, and co-founder of the Maine Outdoor School. She also hosts a Saturday morning public affairs feature here on WERU called The Nature of Phenology. We begin with Joey and Edge. The first one to answer our first question is Joey. The other voice we'll hear is Edge's. We're interested in getting a sense of what you think about climate change and how you think it might affect your life going forward. I feel like, in a sense, I'm going to end up missing out on what my adulthood is supposed to be like because of the effects of it. Like, obviously, it's a real problem and the effects of it are real and they're going to have devastating effects if we don't do anything and it's progressively getting worse. And Ultimately, the world is never going to stay the same, but the way the climate is and how fast it's changing, it's honestly kind of terrifying and I feel uncertain and that makes me anxious. I feel like our generation hasn't really shared that experience with previous generations because we're the ones that are going to be impacted by it the most. It's becoming our problem. Edge? Well, I completely agree with everything that Joey said, but just to put it in my own words, like if whenever people ask me like about my future and like what I'm going to do for a living or even for college, I always get really weird and not just because I, I don't have it figured out yet, 
but also because I seriously don't know what the future is going to look like in terms of just like how the world is functioning in the climate and like with the government and everything like that. And it's just like he said, it's so uncertain. I don't want to like look forward to all these things that people say you're supposed to look forward to. I feel like my parents' generation and like generations before that, they would be like, yeah, you know, maybe I want to get married and start a family and all that stuff. And I just feel uncomfortable like thinking about that idea because I wouldn't want to raise children in a world that's just going to go downhill because I'm already struggling with that and I wouldn't want to make more people struggle with that. So I feel like everything is just not something to look forward to. Like I still try to like look forward to smaller things in the future, track season in two weeks or something like that, but like big things. I'm like more careful about how excited I get for them because I just want to make sure that I'm staying realistic for how the world is right now. Both of you seem to be in agreement on that idea. What about folks that you go to school with or hang out with? Do you think that your opinions are fairly similar to the opinions of friends of yours and acquaintances and other people that that you know in your area? As for me, I would say it depends largely on the audience. I think inflation and everything that's going on in the world right now has given us a chance to see how much fossil fuels actually impact us and how dependent we are on them. One thing I've heard talked about is the idea of carbon taxing, which is raising the price of gas so less pe will pe so people will be more conservative with it. And now that fuel prices have gone up, the reaction to that, and especially the reaction and impact it has on marginalized communities is disproportionate. And honestly, it's kind of scary how much of an impact climate change is having on those communities, but also the lack of resources that we ultimately depend on as a society has for those communities as well. I would say people talk about it a lot, especially the fossil fuel part. But generally, most of the people I go to school with don't believe it's a problem. Interesting. Is, is that your sense as well, Edge? So the people that I personally surround myself with, like Joey and I are good friends. And obviously, we have the same opinion on this kind of stuff. And I do have more friends that think like me. But like the larger community at my school, I would say isn't as worried as I am. I know like in my science class, the teacher did bring up like climate change and she was like, hey guys, this is really important. We should talk about this. And everyone just stared at her with blank faces. In your school, is there a group of students or is there a, a club or an activity that is focused on trying to come to grips with uh, climate change? Or is that just something that you have to uh, think about as individuals? Generally, the reaction I get from the student body would impact that a lot. Um, I go to Calus High School and there's no kind of environmental club or anything here. I know other schools do have that, but generally the engagement here and like the level of concern is not sufficient enough to have a movement. So generally, Edge and I, and another person, his name is Roy, we co-founded the Sunrise County Climate Alliance, which is not school affiliated, but it's open to all youth and adult allies from Washington County. 
so generally we have found that when the people you surround yourself with aren't exactly sharing the same opinions, concerns, values that you are, it's really important to branch out and find people who do care and, and can help you make an impact. When the people around you don't share your concerns, what is your sense of what proportion of people your age do share your concerns about this? I feel honestly like a really good number of people our age do support our like ideas and do agree with us, but it's just hard because Washington County is a very rural area and I go to a different school than Joey and both of our schools don't have the biggest population and a lot of the people that go to our schools have lived here their whole lives and don't really know anything outside of this place. But I know for a fact that many people across the world our age in different countries see real life impacts of climate change and so they can't ignore it. So you mentioned that you have formed a group. What is your group interested in doing? Is it mainly a discussion group or are are there particular actions that you're trying to take? We're honestly just getting started. Like we're going to have one of our first programs in a couple of weeks. What we want to do is we want to be able to connect youth from all over the area to the, to let them know that they're not alone in wanting to combat climate change. And we will probably just have discussions for the first couple of meetings, but eventually I would like to start taking real action and start doing organized activities in the area and then probably expand to the statewide and really make it a big movement. Are you aware of other movements in the state among young people that are concerned about climate change? Definitely. We do follow the statewide main youth environmental groups that we, that are going on right now. So we do stay connected with those people, mostly on like social media. And I think that once we get our group going, we would love to really connect with them and like person and stuff like that. Among the three of you who are working on this group now, besides discussing climate change, do you have a common sense of what needs to be done? You mentioned, Edge, that uh, you wouldn't, right at this point anyway, feel comfortable bringing children into a world that is, uh, I think you said, going downhill. What do you think we can do to keep it from going downhill? Or can we? Maybe we can so it's like one of the reasons why I wanted to start this group is because as a teenager, I feel like it's super hard to do something and like actually feel like you're doing something that will make an impact. But we would start with small things like we talked about raising awareness. I think Joey can expand on this more, but there's a mill that was possibly having like bad toxins in the water and stuff. Also, we wanted to practice writing letters to the legislators and things like that, going more on the law side. I don't know, Joey, do you have anything to say about that? Uh, yeah. As for the law side, I would say this would directly impact the action we can take because ultimately the people who have the most power make the decisions that impact us the most, which is really hard to see as a teenager because we're all too young to run for office. Other people are making the decisions that impact us. And a lot of the times their decisions are not decisions that they will be around to see the impacts of. And we are the ones who have to deal with the consequences and the effects in the world. So 
one way that I typically lean towards in terms of changing that is writing to legislators because they have power. And if they know that the people who vote for them are unhappy with the way they're handling things, typically they will do something to make sure people keep voting for them. And if that means changing their campaign promises and their goals, then so much the better. You can't vote though, can you? No. So what do you think you can do since you think the legislators are the ones who are making decisions? Do you have any ideas of what you might do until you get to the age when you can vote? Letters to the editor are pretty helpful in swaying public opinion and the opinions of the legislators. That and just writing them letters and making your voice heard. What do you think the world might look like in 20 years, for example? And have you thought about how you might be living in it? Like I said earlier, I try not to think too much about that because I really don't know what it's going to look like. But if I'm being realistic, I would say, like, I know this sounds pessimistic, but not where we want it to be. I would think that there are more people living in poverty. I would think that there are more people in other countries being displaced from their homes and there's a, the refugee crisis would be bigger. And I would think that there would be more droughts and less access to food and water for people who have access to it now even. And I would think that it would be a not fun world to be in in 20 years if the current trends continue. The way that I would be living in it, I think, is that I would be obviously more upset and probably more scared, but I will keep advocating for climate justice. So I will probably be doing what I'm doing now, but hopefully with just more sense of like what to do and maybe with a stronger power around myself and maybe more confidence, even if it is worse. Got any thoughts, Joey? I remember when I was 13, the UN had issued a statement that we only have 11 years to prevent irreversible damage to the planet if we don't do anything. That was 2030. And in 2030, I will be 24 and likely in college or a college graduate. And like reading that headline felt like a death sentence because I won't get to experience life as an adult like how I should. It's kind of made me hyper aware of everything I do and the impact on the environment and how my normal life will be impacted by that and how other people's lives will be impacted by that. That was kind of a harsh realization to come to as a 13-year-old. So here we are. I'm doing this for 13-year-old me. I'm doing this for every teen across the globe who is terrified right now. And I'm doing this so we have a world to live in. What gives you hope, each of you? Even though everyone my age is scared, they still give me hope because we all care about the same thing and we're all fighting for the same thing. And it's just to be able to live our lives normally. I just have to pretty much second what Edge said. I find hope in my peers. And honestly, I find hope in the people I work with. I find hope in Edge. I find hope in Roy. And just the fact that we co-founded a climate group is like really exciting and I love it. I can't believe it in a way, but honestly, I'm proud of everything that we've done and I'm proud of everything that all the teens and youth 
and young adults in the world have done to build a better future for ourselves. That's what inspires me and gives me hope that the world will be a good place to live in. Any other thoughts that we haven't specifically asked about that that you think are important for other people, whether they're people like myself who are slightly older than you or people your own age you would like them to know about? The biggest thing that adults can do is lift up youth voices because for so long that they've been shutting us down and also other marginalized communities. So just lift up other people's voices and make sure that if you have power, you let other people be heard as well. Okay. Well, thank you both very much. We really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your thoughts. Thanks thank a lot. You. We've been speaking with Edge and Joey, both high school students from Washington County, about how they view the present and projected effects of climate change on their personal futures and those of their friends. You're listening to Maine, The Way Life Could Be, here on Community Radio, WERU, at 89.9 FM and streaming online. Past programs in this series are archived and available for listening or download in the public affairs archives at WERU.org. If you would like to record a comment that may be used on an upcoming show, go to our website, WERU.org, and use the embedded recorder. Continuing on in today's show, we'll listen to a conversation with Grace and Sophia, students from Mount Desert Island in Hancock County. Yes, and while they each have their own hopes and fears about the future, we'll hear a number of familiar echoes from the first conversation that we heard today. The first person responding to our initial question is Grace. The other young person's voice you'll hear is Sophia's. What kind of things are you looking toward, let's say, living in Maine, if you intend to do that at some point in the future? What I primarily think of when I think of my future, if I'm living in Maine, or when I think of the future of Maine, is I think of a project that I did last year in my AP environmental science class. In this project, we talked about what our island specifically, because we're from MDI, is going to look like the following years in the future. I think it was really eye-opening for me to realize that a lot of the changes that I thought were going to be many years ahead especially in terms of oceans rising and oceans warming, were going to be occurring very soon and much sooner than I thought they would. And so certain things like the Gulf of Maine is the fastest warming body of water, which is causing trouble for the lobsters. Like the lobsters are definitely moving north at a rate that essentially means that our lobstering industry is going to be very, very small within the next few years. And then eventually non-existent, which is huge for our economy. There's also ocean acidification, which is causing many animals that have shells to become softer, which is really disrupting some keystone species in our ocean ecosystem, which again, really disrupts the balance of our coastline. In 10 to 20 years, especially in Maine, our ocean is going to look very different our weather patterns are going to be very different. We're going to see kind of more of what some of the crazy storms we've been seeing recently with the really warm weather and then the super cold weather, which causes the infrastructure to become damaged because the water seeps underneath things and then freezes and expands and which causes lots of erosion. And so it's going to cost a lot of money and it's going to cause a lot of damage. It's not just the oceans are rising. It's that a lot of the ocean warming is that warmer water is less dense and so it expands. And so it's not just melting land ice, it's also 
ocean expansion. And so I see a future that looks very different. Just coming back to your question, I definitely don't see a future that looks like where we live now. I see each year as I get older, and especially when I'm much older in my lifetime, a future that looks very, very different and possibly worse than where we are now. Yeah, I'd really agree with Grace on a lot of that. And I really appreciate how much of the science she brought into that. And I think personally, like, I would say I'm a pessimist about the present, but maybe an optimist about the future. And I think that since there's so many problems in the present and they're progressing so fastly, that also means there's such open opportunity for all hands on deck and sort of a multitude of solutions and like types of climate work, you know, like everyone can play a big or small role in this, in climate work and working against the climate crisis. But I think that one thing I've really run into, especially here in Maine, in my climate work, I, right now I'm working on uh, community solar projects. It may involve a company outside of the state coming to people who live here and saying, oh, sign up for this. It'll make you, it'll save you money in the end. It'll save the environment in the end. But a huge thing that you find is that there's this very large trust barrier to breach, especially with low and middle income individuals, which make up a lot of Maine and especially rural Maine, that it's really difficult to trust outsiders. The work that's being done will actually bring us somewhere. That's very interesting. You, you're mentioning communities around the state and the trust barrier. When you walk down the halls of your school, what do you hear other people saying who are in your community, who are of your age group, for example? Are you very unusual in thinking about the future in this way? Or do you find that this is something that concerns a good number of people of your age? I think that our age especially is very proactive in the climate crisis and in climate work because I think we're able to kind of possess this sort of optimism and hope when it comes to it. And I know a lot of times adults usually tell us, you know, it's kind of this false sense of optimism, but I genuinely think that to actually solve the climate crisis and to be proactive about the climate crisis, we have to have a sense of idealism and optimism. And so I think that a lot of kids our age are really focused on this and really passionate about preventing this from occurring because it's our life that's going to change in the future. And so for the most part, people our age are really active. But I also think there's a side of it where a lot of people just don't want to have to have this burden because as young people, the climate crisis is this huge abstract thing that just seems so inevitable and something that can't be changed by one person. And so taking climate action is a lot of emotional labor as well as, you know, physical and mental labor, you know, meeting with people and making change and all that stuff. It takes a lot of emotional labor, especially when you're talking about basically like imminent doom of the planet I think for a lot of kids our age, it's really hard to devote time because a lot of us wish that we weren't living in a global pandemic and growing up in a global pandemic and that we weren't having to grow up with this looming sense of doom over our heads that we are, ourselves are supposed to fix. And so 
a lot of us are told that it's up to your generation to fix things. And I think a lot of us are just really tired and exhausted because many of us can't vote. There's so many barriers because of our age that we can't reach. And we feel as though we're almost doing extra work to wield the same power as someone who is in office or someone who can vote. And so taking on the climate crisis as a youth and as someone who's younger and potentially unable to vote or be active in local government as much, it takes a lot more effort and emotional labor than it would for someone who can vote or someone who can run for local office or petition a legislator to make change. Because a lot of times people aren't as willing to listen to us because we don't have education or like the same level of education as some people. Even though I think a lot of kids my age are really into being proactive and are really passionate about kind of solving this and making this better for everyone, I think a lot of us are just tired and just want to be teenagers without this burden. The climate movement, especially out of all social movements, is becoming more and more youth-led because of the proactiveness Grace was talking about. A lot of people sort of have an idea that they want something to change, but they may not know exactly what or how. Has climate change and your work on climate change issues impacted at all your thoughts about what you might be doing in the future? What grade are you in? I'm a senior. Okay. I'm a junior. Okay. So you're at the age, I mean, you're beyond the age where you're probably having some thoughts, even if they don't turn out exactly as you're thinking now about what you want to do after high school, whether it's continue your education formally or go out into the work world or travel or whatever. Have any of your plans shifted or been influenced by your work on climate change or by the thought of what climate change is going to be doing to the world and what jobs might be available? Well, I can start since I've committed to college. My plan for the future is to go to college and I'm going to study environmental engineering with the hope of potentially designing either solar panels or battery technology, kind of with the thought that if things like electric vehicles and home battery systems could be made more energy efficient and more sustainable to actually build and gather the materials to build them, that there'd be much more incentive to use them. If we could just continue this shift to a society without petroleum products, well, we'd be much better suited to take on the climate crisis. And so I hope to work on the technologies that will make it easier to transition. But I do remember having a conversation with Sophia and a couple of um, our friends who did an internship with us at a local climate organization called the Climate to Thrive. And we were talking about our futures and kind of this feeling of guilt and this like need to do something, but also talking to ourselves about how we like, it's not our job necessarily to completely reframe our futures, to attack and be proactive about the climate crisis. Like one of our friends really wants to study English, which doesn't really have a ton to do with the climate crisis. It's not as direct as, you know, studying climate science or something, but there's nothing wrong with that. And I think the pressure on people our age to go into a field that directly impacts climate change is really high right now. And so I think for me, I'm really passionate about climate change and just in general, climate science and engineering is something that really interests me. And I really love math. My decision, I really tried to 
make sure that it was something that I wanted to do and not something that I felt pressured from society and mostly kind of the left side of the political spectrum, this idea that, oh, you guys, if you're really climate activists, you would completely reshift your life to take this on. My decision to go into a climate-related field in college was definitely my own decision based on my own interest. But I think a lot of people are experiencing something very different where they're going into a climate field because they feel that they have to, or they feel this kind of guilt and that they have to do something to save like the future inhabitants of the earth. I'm very lucky that I was able to make that decision without feeling pressure, but I know that many people my age have not had that experience. That's interesting. I asked the question thinking more of like, what is, there may be some limitations, some things that you might've thought that you wanted to do, but you're feeling like with um, climate change happening, maybe there are places that you might've thought about living that you're thinking twice about because of the impact. Or if you come from a family that has always done lobstering, you know, there, there may be some rethinking about that as an option. So do you feel like there are any, and, and I want your responses to this too, Sophia, if you, if you'd like to weigh in, are there limitations on what you can do based on the future that you think you're going to be facing? Yes, I definitely think so. I mean, just about living specifically, like I'm not going to live in Florida in 30 years. It's not that I don't necessarily want to live in Florida. It's that it's probably a bad idea financially to build a house in Florida or to buy a house in Florida, especially on the coast. And so there's a lot of places where places economies are going to be really messed up and really bad because something like lobstering or fishing is going to just slowly shift up north. And at the rate that species are moving, it's unlikely that local economies are going to be able to shift with that. I don't have any fishermen in my family. Currently in our family, we're not really experiencing the super, super negative side effects of climate change yet. And that's honestly because we are in such an affluent community with such a strong economy and it's a primarily white community too. And so there's a lot of privilege in that and a lot of safety. I definitely think that there are going to be parts of the world that are going to be really struggling. Like there will be impacts that we will experience that will change our futures, like possibly more pandemics, like the one that we're in. You know, it's not just about not living in Florida. It's about horrible storms and loss of infrastructure and spread of disease and loss of keystone species that are all going to come together and start impacting everyone. What's your experience in talking to people about climate change? Do you think most people believe in it and believe that humans have something to do with it? Well, I think we're all in our own bubble and sort of my bubble might not reflect the experiences of a lot of other people, but I think generally sort of climate deniers are a smaller population of people than they may seem based upon how much there is in the news, sort of climate denial and things related to it. But I think that there's very few people who would actually deny that climate change exists and that people are the cause of it, the primary cause of it. No matter what topic someone cares about, it can be related to the climate crisis because the climate crisis is so intersectional. 
and it impacts every part of everyone's life. I definitely think there's a lot of climate deniers out there. And I think what Sophia said was correct about it's a smaller group than what's portrayed online. I honestly think that a lot of politicians who are active deniers of the climate crisis do know what's going on and do believe in it. They just have to portray something else because there's so much money from big oil and gasoline and fuel in politics. And that's really, really changing the political agenda and what legislation is being passed and what action is being taken. Do either of you have pictures of what your life might be like in 20 years? You said, for example, that you probably wouldn't live in Florida in 30 years (laughs) or so. I guess what I'm wondering is, in thinking about these big picture things that you're involved in, in your own activities to understand and affect as you can the, the trajectory of climate change. At the same time, people are looking forward next year, five years, 10 years down the road. Do you have pictures of yourself or what your life might be in, I'm just picking a number, say, say 25 years. If you have had pictures like that, has the fact that the world's going to be different then or could be different then affected how those pictures are for you? Or have you not quite formed any of that quite yet? I really do think I put kind of a lot of thought into my future because of the climate crisis. I mean, like it's almost impossible not to. The ideal situation for me would be living somewhere close to nature so I can just experience it as long as I can living somewhere with clean air and clean water, preferably somewhere that's not going to be eroded away by rising oceans. I've always felt this guilt about potentially having kids in the future and bringing kids into this world. Like, I just don't want to do that. I feel too guilty about it. And so I've talked to a lot of friends my age about this too. And all of us are at this common agreement that there's something about having children and bringing kids into the world who are going to outlive us that just feels wrong, especially given that by the time that my generation's children are going to be older, the earth is going to be very, very just significantly different than it is now. And so I think there is this guilt among my generation specifically about having kids or picturing a life because it's really hard to picture what our future is going to be like when we just don't know because the climate crisis continues to become faster. And so I really just don't know. I'd love to be able to picture myself living in like California and it being sunny and nice and having nature around me, but I just don't know. Like the wildfires in California could just become too bad and it just might not be a safe place to live anymore. Or, you know, there could be natural disasters that we had never thought of, you know, things like that. And it's hard to picture creating a family or building a home or settling down somewhere when I really don't know what our future is going to look like. Yeah, I think that's a really good answer. And I wouldn't have much else to add. Are there things that you think are important about this topic and how to look at it that we haven't talked about yet? Whenever I'm doing these sorts of things, when I'm presenting an educational event or presenting to members of our community, I always try to like end with, 
it's not up to our generation specifically to solve this. And I think we need help from people because we just, we just don't have the resources to do certain things yet. We don't have money. Half of us are like signing our lives away on college debt because college is so expensive right now. Most of us are going to have college debt until we're like in our fifties. We're not really in this position to tackle the climate crisis yet. We still are which is amazing, but we just need help from older people who have a lot more knowledge than us and who can help us and who have money and the ability to vote and also the ability to persuade legislators and people in politics to actually do something. Because the reality is that people in politics aren't always going to listen to young people. And so we just need the help from older people to help us actually do something about this. You know, there are so many people who are doing that and so many people older than us and in different generations who are absolutely tackling the climate crisis in the best way they possibly can. And they're doing amazing work. But I think the vast majority of our generation is really taking this on and we just need support, especially because we're young and there's still a lot of our lives that we just want to have normal teenage and normal young adult experiences without having to deal with something like this. And so we want shared responsibility instead of sole responsibility of this climate crisis. A sobering request closing our conversation with Sophia and Grace about the effects of climate change on their future lives. They are both high school age students from MDI in Hancock County. We'll close out this edition of Maine the Way Life Could Be here on WERU-FM with a conversation with Hazel Stark from the Millbridge area, who, as a naturalist educator and registered Maine guide, is already experiencing effects of climate change in Maine on her own life and on the lives of her young students. I've already had so much impact in my lifetime that um, surely there's going to be more. So I'm in my early 30s, and I regularly use a field guide with my students that I had as a kid in the 90s. And it was published, I think, in the early 90s. And I remember that underneath the listing for the deer tick, it says only exists in southern New England. And now here in Maine, I'm seeing deer ticks all the time, um, wherever I am in the state. And this field guide that isn't so old uh, it's still in print, is saying that they shouldn't be here. So just, just in the last 30 years, we've seen this extreme in, increase in just ticks alone. And that in itself influences people's comfort and passion for spending time outside, which we know is a really important thing for people's mental health to do and for them to understand how to connect with the outdoors and understand their impact on it. So something as simple as that that's happened within the past couple of decades has made a big difference at this point. And when I look forward, I think about the choices that I and my peers and others in my life are making about their future decisions. I know, you know, my husband and I are in the process of building a house right now, and we're being really thoughtful about how we're building that related to the likelihood of bigger windstorms than we ever had before to we're trying to not have any fossil fuels um, involved in any aspect of the build, which is really hard to do, but really important for us because we know that those aren't here to stay and they're contributing to the problem. So I think every action that I personally have is always in response to this reality of climate change because 
it's here. It's not about to happen. It's been happening and it's only going to get worse for a while. So what can we do to make it as good as we can do and have ourselves be as resilient to it as possible and support others and the other living species, not just humans in dealing with it? There's been a lot written lately about the sense of hopelessness that sometimes people, especially younger people, are feeling when facing such a major, massive problem. Has that impacted you? And maybe you could talk a little bit more about the work that you are doing and what you hear from other people. Sure. Yeah, I think I absolutely go through climate change hopelessness spells personally. It happens a lot. And I think it's common of the people that um, I'm friends with, of the people that I'm connected with, that we have this sense of impending doom and it can make decision-making tricky, like big life decisions. It's it's tricky to make that when the, the future is changing so rapidly and not in a great direction in a lot of ways. But what I think is really hopeful for me is that when I work with children at this stage, there is no child that I've talked to who doesn't care about it or thinks it's not important as an issue. And I think my age and older folks that I've, I've worked with, it ends up climate change is often a very political issue. But when I look younger, it's not. It doesn't matter what political side their parents are, because p- kids are kids are recognizing that climate change is a real thing. And even I talked to some seventh and eighth graders last week, they were able to articulate winters being really different from when they were littler kids to now. And that's not a really long time for them. And so they know it's happening. And I think the challenge, especially for kids who can't vote yet, is understanding what they can do about it. When they see the um, people in office and government officials and folks making decisions, making these decisions that they themselves don't have a lot of control over. And so we can do things like trash pickups and figure out ways to carpool to school or whatever at these really tiny levels. But the large scale stuff, I think, is what can make children and adults alike feel pretty hopeless if it feels like it's out of our control. I know that you have always spent a lot of time outside. When I was looking at your website for the Maine Outdoor School, I saw that you tell the story in your bio of sleeping outside for five months of the year when you were a kid. And I've actually only heard your father tell that story. So (laughs) uh, I've always been impressed by that. What changes other than the ticks, the level of ticks are you seeing? I know you know a lot about plants and things too. Have you seen a shift? Yeah. So both in terms of weather patterns, of course, we're certainly seeing just really unpredictable seasons. So I think one of the things I've really struggled with in recent years is that I'm I'm doing outdoor school for kids year round and I'm also guiding hikes and uh, that and snowshoe experiences for people year round. And it used to be that I could predictably say February, there's going to be snow and we'll be able to snowshoe. But for the past several years, I just cannot predict when there is and is not going to be snow throughout the winter. So in terms of you know my own job and being able to, to do that and plan around it, that's a lot trickier just because our winters have just gotten so freeze-thaw, crazy freeze-thaw cycles and um, how, how deep will the snow be? And that, of course, influences the animals that, that live here because some animals, like our snowshoe hares, are really well adapted 
to deep snow. They have big feet that allows them to run on top of it. They turn white in the wintertime to match the snow. And, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we lost our snow again. And I could see two snowshoe hares right down my driveway, right on the brown and green backdrop, which of course means their predators are going to find them easier. And so uh, we're seeing that change where a snowshoe hare in particular basically has the choice of uh, moving farther north where there's snow. So we might see a change in the population of snowshoe hares moving farther away from us, farther north. Or if evolution can catch up with climate change, which is pretty hard to accomplish because evolution happens pretty slow, um, you know, maybe we're going to start seeing snowshoe hares change their coats for a shorter period of, of the winter. But climate change is winning the race in terms of the, the timeline on that. So that's a tricky one. I think also, you know, gardening habits when I can plant my garden in the spring has gotten earlier, which is kind of nice. But then we've had some really crazy droughts and really crazy wet spells. So that's hard to predict as well. And in terms of plants, I think there's this concept of, of phenological mismatch where some species are supposed to do something at the same time as another species but not all species are reacting to climate change at the same pace. So for example, there's been some issues with monarch butterflies and milkweed not being ready for each other at the same time in their life cycle, depending on where they are. So that can be an issue. The monarchs are going to rely on eating that milkweed, but the milkweed isn't ready yet, or, you know, vice versa. That's not going to, that's not going to work out. So, so many of these things are impossible for scientists to accurately predict. We can do our best to to figure out, you know, watch the patterns of what's changing and what's going faster and what's going slower and try to figure out what the result of that will be. But there's so much nuance in nature and in science that it's really tricky to actually figure that out. I was wondering, those observations you were just making, are those things that younger people notice as well? Kids in school, for example? I think what I've unfortunately seen in recent years is that kids are not spending very much time outside. And so the opportunity that I have to bring them outside during the school day and help them slow down and look at things and watch things is a really important opportunity. And I think once they, and I've observed that once they've spent even that one hour a week for a whole school year outside, they have the opportunity to see what animals are walking around in their schoolyards. And if that changes from year to year, what tracks they are or are not seeing, what conditions they're dealing with being outside during outdoor school. Like, you know, last year we hardly had any snow and this year we dealt with more, but then, you know, it was, it, it came and went pretty quickly. And so I think the more that children and adults alike spend time outside regularly, the more we're apt to actually notice. And that's important because I don't know about you, but I've never seen a official scientist walk around in my backyard uh, taking data about what's going on there and when the buds are bursting. But we all can be that kind of scientist. If we're all paying attention to what's going on in our backyard, we're the ones that are going to notice when something is off or something seems weird, or if we have a ton of brown tail moth around or whatever it is, and we can be the ones reporting to the scientists and saying, hey, this is a weird pattern that I'm noticing or contributing data through all the apps that you can do that through, like iNaturalist, the Bud Burst Phenology Program, Humane Signs of the Seasons. There's so many ways that you can monitor that in your backyard and contribute to our understanding of it better. But we can only do that if we get outside and just enjoy and observe it. Do the young people that you work with ask you, well, what can we do 
Yeah, I think it's so important to recognize that everybody does have some agency in what they can do. And I think for kids, a lot of the times it feels really good to do something as simple as picking up trash that they're seeing around their homes and around their schoolyards, because that helps them make that connection between you know, where that trash will go next and what other species it will hurt and how if they are the ones picking it up, they're helping that. And then they can translate that simple project, which of course, picking up trash itself isn't going to stop climate change, but it does help us understand our impacts on the planet and how something as simple as, you know, not letting that chip bag that you had for snack fly out the window can we can make a really big difference and they can share that up with their parents. I've definitely seen kids start giving their parents a hard time about the bleach bottles that they're dropping off their lobster boats into the ocean or the the trash bag in the back of the truck that's blown out of the truck when they drive down the road. So I've definitely seen kids do that. And that also is an influence that they can have is, is keeping their parents in check and recognizing things today. Like there was a student who asked me, what does it mean when you idle your car, what does idling mean? And I, so I described it. It's like, you know, you, in the winter, when you go to the grocery store and how many people's cars are just sitting there on with nobody in there, what do you think that's doing? And he said, it's polluting the air. I said, exactly. And who does that hurt? And so he was able to list, you know, me, the snowshoe hair, the deer, like all of these other things. And so, you know, my hope is through that understanding of that connection, there's this opportunity for kids to say to their parents, do we really need to keep the car running when we go into the grocery store real quick? Or can we just zip up our coats right when we come back out? So I think those are really simple ways to have conversations with the people who are within your circle of influence that kids, no matter the age, can have those conversations and and they can pick up trash and they can encourage carpooling to that birthday party, which of course was tricky and has been tricky during COVID to feel safe in one car. And so I know a lot of kids were trying to figure that out. Can I bike more? Can I walk there? And usually the answer where I live, where we're really spread out is no, we can't bike there or walk there. So what else can we do? And so I think through the process of thinking through those options and thinking what you do have influence over, that's where we all need to start. You mentioned that climate change is uh, affecting, for example, how you think about building your house. Do you hear younger people thinking about their own futures in the context of climate change at all? I do, yeah. And I think one of the things this past summer, the uh, an organization that Maine Outdoor School partners with a lot, Women for Healthy Rural Living, based in Millbridge, we did a camp called Owlette Camp where it was a camp for basically preteen and teenage girls to come and learn outdoor naturalist and gardening skills. And we focused a bit on climate change and understanding how our, um, our impact and the choices we make for outdoor recreation and all of those pieces, how those connect to climate change. And we did some pre and post assessments of their opinions about climate change to see what they were thinking before we learned about it together And it was really interesting because at the beginning, a lot of them were like, it's important or it's bad, or I don't know what it is. And then at the end, they were saying, I think that climate change is bad, but I have a better feel about what I can do about it. And I also recognize that a lot of other people don't know how bad it is. So I feel inspired to talk to more people about it. 
but a lot of them said, you know, I'm worried or we need to, we need to stop it. It's bad for all these living things. I don't like it. And at the same time, also saying like, I wish that people with a big influence or impact could, would care about it more. And that's a really hard place to be. And I think fortunately for them, they started thinking about like, there were a couple girls who said, you know, I'm going to talk about this more with my friends and family. And a couple who said, you know, maybe I want to do this kind of outdoor work to make sure other people know about it so that every person can make a choice that is right for them that helps as opposed to hurts. So these younger people are thinking, it seems, much more on a kind of a personal level. You know, can I pick up the trash and how will that be helpful? And you mentioned that some of them said, well, we wish that people who were making decisions made better decisions. How much is is that a realization on their part that they can pick up trash until the end of the world. But if ExxonMobil doesn't change some of its practices, it's not going to make that big a dent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really hard. I think it's something that everyone is grappling with. And I think what's fortunate is that now I'm seeing, as I said before, children, regardless of their parents' political beliefs, saying, of course, it would make sense to have solar panels when I grow up, or of course, I would rather have an electric car, or of course, these kinds of things that are bigger, things that they can be working towards later in their lives. It's logical to them. It's not an opinion thing. It's totally logic. And I think that in itself, as time goes on, we have this these younger generations right now of people who are looking at the solutions to these problems very logically. I even think about the millennial generation, which I'm a part of, that we are more apt to spend our money on experiences and things that we have a a mission alignment with. And we're seeing that as a major trend across this generation. And we're seeing even more promising trends related to purchasing choices and decision-making choices for these younger generations. So I think that is a thing that gives me a lot of hope. And I think gives a lot of younger people some hope too, is that we're not in this alone. And as the longer it gets, maybe there will actually be more people who who get it. And we end up with that millennial someday who uh, becomes the head of ExxonMobil and converts it to a not oil company. Who knows? But I think that there is a lot of hope in terms of how not split the issue is in younger folks. We can make a difference right in our backyards. It makes a difference to pay attention and to spend time outside and to recognize the nature nature around us has been around for billions of years. It's pretty darn resilient. Humans have been around for a lot less time and we have we can learn a lot from nature. And so the more time we spend out there paying attention to what happens to a tree after it gets blown down in a storm and how do animals react to the different shifting populations of pests or whatever it is, the more we can then apply that understanding to our own human communities in a way that's really hopeful and sustaining because we know and research shows this that just 15 minutes outside in a green space lowers our heart rate, our blood pressure, and our stress hormone. And so the more that we're actually spending time outside connecting to that, the more we both understand what kind of an influence we have on the world 
and the more the world can have an influence on us in a really positive way. And so I think that the more that people do that, the more that people connect with that, and the more that people collect that kind of data right in their backyard and actually give it to somebody, whether it's through iNaturalist or eBird or any of these great community or citizen science projects that exist, the more you're actually contributing to people's greater understanding of what's happening as a result of climate change so that those bigger changes and policies can happen. Because these big organizations, whether it's Audubon or the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, they of course have more sway than just, you know, your neighbor down the road. So if you're helping give them data about bird populations changing and they're able to help, you know, get behind policies that help protect these birds, you're making a really big difference. And you might not see it right there in your backyard right now, but you are certainly making a difference with every action that you take. Hazel, where can people find out more about your work? They can visit my website, which is www.maineoutdoorschool.org. And you mentioned, I think, three different self-reporting sites. And I, you just mentioned iNaturalist and eBird, but I didn't catch the third mm-hmm. one you mentioned earlier. Do you remember which one it was? Yeah, there's um, BudBurst. Which Bud is burst. Okay. Bud burst. Yep. There's a variety of different ways you can engage with that. And then UMaine has a signs of the seasons program. They have some trainings that you can do to monitor a particular, a particular plant or patch in your backyard. And they, uh, the U S national phenology network is another one. There's tons out there. So like pick something you're passionate about, whether it's birds or plants or just watching the seasons change and you can find something where you can just have a good time learning more and contributing what you discover. Great. And I will find links to those and put them up with the archives of today's program. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Yeah, Thank you very much. I, I have to go out for a walk now. So I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah, good. I'm glad. <laughs> and I actually did go out for a walk and I was glad too. <laughs> Me too, but I went with a puppy. You probably got more exercise, but we both appreciated Hazel's suggestion, and we probably ought to do it more often. (laughs) And we appreciated the thoughtful discussions and honest conversations about the effect of climate change on their future lives here in Maine, shared today by Joey and Edge from Washington County, Grace and Sophia from Hancock County, and Hazel Stark, co-founder of the Maine Outdoor School. We also appreciate the contributions of Ann Luther and Matt Murphy in helping us to develop the topic content for this series, and we appreciate the support for the series provided by the Maine Arts Commission. That's it for today. The next program in our series, Maine the Way Life Could Be, will focus on Maine's demographics and the effects of Maine's status as the state with the oldest population in the country on the state's future. That program will air on Tuesday, May 3rd at 4 p.m. And just a reminder, once again, today's program and all the programs in this series, as well as a lot of others, are available for listening or download in the Public Affairs Archives at www.weru.org. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.